The following is a continuation of the previous episode. Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from scripture will inspire and encourage you. In this episode, Tim concludes discussion on the judgment initiated by the seven trumpets. Revelation warns against idolatry, sexual immorality, and sorcery. Tim looks at what God's will is for our lives while we wait and expect the judgment and joy to come. Even though these are grim chapters of judgment, they point to the coming restoration of the whole world. We begin in the midst of one of these grim chapters, Revelation 9. Well, let's go back to Revelation 9. So these scorpions have authority to torment for five months, but not the people of God with the seals. Then it goes on to describe the torment some, which is interesting. Verse 5, their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. Anybody ever been stung by a scorpion? How's it feel? So think about that happening all day long for five months. So does that that give you... Everybody here has probably been stung by a bee. I got stung by a bumblebee one time. Man, I do not recommend that. It's like double size my thumb. It was my own fault. I grabbed him. You know, I was. I thought I can, I can, I can get that guy. When I was about twelve year old. That's a lesson I didn't forget. Let me tell you, I will not grab a bumblebee again. But yeah, but just think about that. You got that all day for five months, and in verse six, now you kind of have a thought in your mind. In those days, men will seek death and not find it. They will desire to die, but death will flee from them. So it really hurts. This is pain coming in. And then he goes on about these locusts. The shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair. Their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. The sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and the sting was in their tails. Their power was to hurt men for five months. And they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. So I have no idea what this thing is. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't want one to bite me. And it seems that it's some kind of demonic thing. Like, you know, these angels that took on the wrong forms, like they got put there in the first place perhaps, like the guys in Jude that left their proper abode and did things they weren't supposed to do. Now it's like, okay, go ahead and do stuff. And I don't know, they go inhabit some locusts and turn them into these vile creatures. I don't know what happens, but it's not good. And their king is the king of the or the yeah the angel the, of the bottomless pit, and his name in his Hebrew is Abaddon. In Greek, he has the name Apollyon. Abaddon means destruction, and Apollyon means destroyer. So you get the picture here that this is a bad five months, and it's worse than the first four thing, first four trumpet judgments, which were horrific in the than of themselves. And then it says, One woe is past. Behold, two more woes are coming after these things. So we've got four trumpets inside the seventh seal, and then three trumpets that are the three woes to making up a total of seven trumpets. And this is kind of interesting too. You got three different groups of seven inside the seventieth year 
a week of years, so 77s, and we're in the 70th seven, and now we're going through three sevens. Three kind of being the, the number of divinity, seven being the number of completion. So we're in this judgment that's divine judgment and coming to completion. This is the completion of judgment on the earth. Then the sixth angel sound, verse 13, And I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Well, apparently there's these really horrific forces that are constrained just somewhere on the earth, uh, maybe hiding right behind a dimension, maybe, maybe right there. And we can't see that dimension, but it's right there. And these guys are unbound. The word there is literally untied, like go untie that donkey. So they're bound up and say, okay, it's time to release these guys. They've been sitting there you know, like a horse ready to go out of the gate for 2,000 years, and now you're going to let them go. That's going to happen on the sixth trumpet. And, of course, I've already mentioned this, but I just love the fact that the furniture talks here. And the golden altar is speaking to this sixth angel. It's a hopeful thought to me because this is going to be such an awesome place that we go to, even though it's pretty dire right now as we're looking at it. So, verse 15, the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of plates, breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions. And out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues a third of mankind was killed. By the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents having heads. And with them they do harm. So this appears to be an army of some kind, some great battle, some great war. This number 200 million, if you get some translations, it'll say 200,000. The literal is two myriad myriads. And my view would have been a better translation if if some translations actually say that, myriads of myriads. So a lot of whatever this is. And this is war happening and the war is on people and a third of the people die. So, I, I mean, if you go through and do the math of this many people died and then what's left, this many people, the population's shrinking a lot, obviously. And then here's kind of the the culminating thought. We've had now uh, seven seals, six trumpets, all this judgment on the earth. And we saw that atheism has gone away here. People look and say, God is judging us. Everybody gets what's happening here. They have reality about what's going on. And And this is the result, verse 20. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. What a sad commentary on mankind, huh? Again, going back to the Exodus, kind of reminds you of Pharaoh. One plague. No, yeah, oh, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry. 
you can go. Oh, I changed my mind. You can't go. Another play. You know, oh, hey. So what is it going to take, right? And finally, the Passover, and he says, okay, finally, you can go. And then again, changes his mind and chases after him. This is our human problem. Even when we see God and his power in judgment, we say, I refuse to bow. Just like Pharaoh. And it's happening again. So, really sad. Now, it's interesting here, the specific behaviors that are highlighted. Murder, sorceries, idolatry, and sexual immorality. Let's just take a look at these things in Revelation. We can go back to 2.14. And then we're now we're into the letter to the churches, the what was and is part of Revelation. Chapter 4 and forward is what is to come. And it says, But I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things, sacrifice to idols, and commit sexual immorality. So the specific thing that's called out in that particular church is idolatry, sexual immorality. 2.20 Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Idolatry, sexual immorality. We can jump way ahead to 21.8. Since this is such a morose lesson, let's start in 6. And he said to me, it's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning of the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. Camp on that one. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. I, for the ones who are overcomers, remember an over, overcomer is a reward. Jesus said, if you overcome as I overcame, I will give to you to sit with me on my throne. And this is the big call here, is to be the kind of witness that does not fear death so that God will reward us with this amazing reward. Shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Again, this is like the Hebrew's son, where the king adopts someone and says, you're now my son, this is my way of honoring you as a member of the royal family. But the cowardly, unbelieving abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And then one chapter forward to 22.15, something similar. Now we're talking about the gate. Blessed are those who do His commandments. They may have the right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates of the city. Verse 15 then. But outside, outside the city, we're now in the new earth. And we got the city of Jerusalem, this 1,500 mile by 1,500 mile thing that came down from heaven as a prefab city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. That's who's outside. And it'll be fun when we get there to talk about who that might be. And why there's people just outside the city like this that can't go in. But suffice for now to say, these particular behaviors are highlighted in Revelation as behaviors not becoming of an overcomer. And the kind of thing that God is eradicating from the earth. And even when judgment comes, people say, I won't leave those things behind. Which is, you know, begs the question, why? 
Why is it we cling to these things so much? Well, let's just end with a thought about these sins and why they're so appealing to mankind that it would cause us to look at something as horrific as these judgments and say, I refuse to repent. I'm going to keep doing these things. First, of course, is idolatry. And idolatry is nothing more than not putting God in His proper place. Now, we already saw throne, 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 throne. 41 times we're going to see the word throne in Revelation. Was given, was authorized, was allowed, was prohibited. God is in control. God is on the throne. God is God. And what we want to do is have somebody else be God. And who do we want to be God? Mainly. Mainly us, right? Now, we will use an intermediary happily. God himself, for one thing. You know, God, you're obligated to do this for me. That's nothing more than God turning into Santa Claus, which makes us God. Or God turning into a vending machine. You know, if I do this, you'll do that. That was the sin of Eliphaz and his friends in the book of Job that got made God so mad. Or we might use a, a, an idol, I mean a, an actual like figure, and say, these are the calves that brought us out of Egypt. But what we're really saying is, these give me an excuse to do whatever I want to do. In fact, Jeroboam, when he set up the idol, or the golden calves in Dan and in uh, Shechem, and Dan and Ephraim, the two tribes left out of that list we saw last week, when, when he set those up, He did specifically so the people would stay under his control instead of going down to Judah, where he might kind of lose them, so to speak. So we want things under our control. That's our fundamental problem. And why do we want things under our control? So we can gain what we perceive as benefit for ourselves, one of which being sexual immorality. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 6.15. There's two reasons why the Bible very specifically condemns sexual immorality. And reason number one, very predictable in the Bible, do you not know, 1 Corinthians 6.15, that your bodies are members of Christ? We're all part of the body of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. Now, marriage is sexual union. We're only supposed to be married to one person. And when we are sexually immoral, we're married to multiple people. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. So reason number one to avoid this particular sin is it's particularly self-destructive. You know, all sin is self-destructive. Paul makes that point in Romans, right? Slavery, death, corruption, Is that really what you want to do, guys? Don't do that. It's self-destructive. But sexual immorality is particularly self-destructive. So don't do that. And reason number two comes in 1 Thessalonians 4. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God. You ever have a counseling session with someone that wants to know the will of God? Turn to 1 Thessalonians 
chapter 4, verse 3. This is the will of God, colon. Your sanctification. That's it. That's our will of God. He wants us to grow up. He wants us to become everything He designed us to be. That's the will of God. Well, what do I do then? Which job do I take? Who do I marry? What circumstance do I, do I try to fabricate? You won't see any of those things. Number one is abstain from sexual immorality. Why? Well, because if you don't do that, it goes on to say, you're basically a slave of lust. And then he goes on to say, don't defraud one another. So, reason number two is, this is an impediment to becoming who God made us to be. God made us to be someone who serves other people, not someone who defrauds other people. And sexual immorality is the ultimate in fraud. Because what is marriage supposed to be about? It's supposed to be about oneness. Two people having the same goal. And what is sexual immorality? It's about me getting something from you. It's about extraction. It's about taking. And it's fraud. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretending we're going to oneness because I want something from you. I'm just taking you. And of course, lying and these other things, murder, that's all part of that. I want something, so I'm going to coerce you to take it. Which is why the whole world filled with violence before the flood. And God took care of that. Well, now you've got a world full of the same thing and God's taking care of it again. And He's going to bring it to fruition where His overcomers are going to be installed as the new regents and He's going to have a serving kingdom. And all this kind of attitude is going to be wiped out. And the third thing, finally, sorcery. And this is the Greek word pharmakeia. So... Pharmacy, sorcery, occultism always involves drug, drug abuse. And there, there's two things about sorcery. One is escape. I can use drugs to escape the reality that's real and create my own reality. Sadly, I'm aware of a, a young man who has uh, a problem with uh, marijuana and basically stays on it all the time, stays high on it all the time, even to the point where his friends who... Our uh, users of marijuana say this is overdosing. You know, this is too much. And when confronted, has said, you know, I have to do this because when I'm high, I'm such a better person. And the reason his friends are concerned about it is because when he's high, he's intolerable to interact with. So the reality is he's a massive, off-the-charts jerk that no one wants anything to do with when he's high. And he thinks he's Mr. Congeniality when he's high. Which is what drugs does. It creates a false reality where we can control our environment. We are now God in our own environment through this drug. And of course, occult practice is I'm going to impose my will on others. I'm going to voodoo somebody and make them hurt. Or something like that. So it's this false reality about who's in charge. A false reality about who's on control. Oh, sorry, who's on the throne. A false reality about where I live. And these three sins that are talked about all throughout the Scripture are going to be eradicated. And the earth is going to be restored. So grim days, 
really dire picture, but all pointed towards restoration. And again, one thing we can get from Revelation that's really clear is God's God, God's on the throne. If something happens, it's authorized, and I have the power to deal with it when it comes. God, thank you for your word. These are troubling things to consider, but thank you that you're in control and we have the opportunity, even now, where, to the best of our knowledge, we're not in this era, as tribulation comes, we can face it like a faithful martyr and not fear any sort of death, any sort of separation, any sort of rejection, and follow you notwithstanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowballoons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net. Thanks for listening.